welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast, episode number 11. I'm Dan, and joining me as always, Phil and Rowan. Hey guys. Hey guys. Hey. How are we doing this week? Yeah, very good, thank you. Oh, not bad. Phil's been off jet-setting around the world again. What a life. As usual. (laughs) (laughs) Came back with a car. Fantastic. Yeah, (laughs) awesome. So we've got a very changey episode today. And also, Greg, Jonathan, and Ethan, we have received your feedback, and we're going to talk about it shortly, once we get through all of the usual stuff. So, 0.56 release, quite a few new interesting things. The first thing up is a breaking change in the map component. If you're using that, you now need to specify it manually in your configuration to make sure that it carries on working. So it's just a simple map colon, like you would with, you know, config. And things like that. I don't mind that. I don't personally use the map, so it's good to be able to hide that from the menu if I'm not going to use it. Yeah. Less clutter. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. The more Home Assistant grows, the better it's going to be to have everything completely modular. Mm -hmm. You can't imagine how heavy Home Assistant would be if all the components were loaded. (laughs) Turn on everything all the time and run it on a Raspberry Pi 1. Or just if you've got a lot of devices, turn off, uh, make a code error in your groups.yaml and watch that default view come up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Maybe I should do that. Go build a configuration file that turns every component on and just see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> see if I can grind a Pi 3 to a halt. <laughs> I'm sure you can. Probably. <laughs> what else? So we've got a new serial sensor. And there was actually a blog post about using a DigiSpark USB development board and the TMP36, which is just an analog temperature sensor um, plugged into the USB port of something. And you can actually read data from it, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So a lot of use cases will come from that, I think, that we haven't even thought of yet. Yeah. Like my one of the outputs I get from my um, home alarm system is actually a serial output, which just, you know, dumps, you know, zones and all that kind of stuff to a serial Mm -hmm. port. So I might actually be able to use that to, you know, create some sensors because at the moment I'm passing it through Node-RED, which is then sending it to MQTT, which is then going to Home Assistant. So if I can do it directly. Yeah, get rid of those moving parts and make it a bit more stable. Yeah, exactly, because having all those moving parts is, yeah, pretty unpleasant. Um, It breaks. So, yeah, the more stuff we can integrate directly into Home Assistant, the, definitely the happier I'll be. Yeah, that's a that's a good point, though. It's uh, There's a lot of people out there that have, you know, you, maybe you didn't put it in, maybe it, you bought a house with a pre-existing wired home alarm system. Mm. And, you know, now you can actually make use of that. If the wires are there, if the sensors are there, why not use it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I actually put this one in myself because I went, as much as I like doing automation stuff, Locks and alarm should be standalone. So if my internet's down or, or my Pi crashes or something, yeah, it all still works. Agreed. Google Assistant has um, had an integration. I think it has it always been there. Oh, no, it hasn't. So, so I think it new. was uh, using the emulator queue component, oh, and right. I think Google Home uh, made some adjustments where you now require a a queue account online. I not 100% sure on that, but apparently a few people have been yeah complaining that you needed a 
a Philips Hue account to hook up with the Google Home, and that, of course, wouldn't work with the Hue emulator. So now there's an official integration with Google Assistant. It's quite complicated <laughs> to set up. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I'm looking at the components document right now, and it's pretty involved. Yes. So it's definitely not for the uh, faint of heart, but I don't think it's uh, completely undoable. Like, it, it's documented pretty well, so. It is. Yeah. But again, this is one of the ones where you have to have your home assistant externally accessible so that the Google system can hit it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So same as the Alexa integration. But yeah, it's a big process, but for pretty much everyone running Home Assistant, it shouldn't be insurmountable to work out how to do it. The documentation, as always, is pretty impressive. Yeah. What else? Skybell. Skybell support has been added, which as far as I can tell is just another ring doorbell. I shouldn't say just another ring doorbell, but yeah, (laughs) ring came first, (laughs) so they kind of get get the name for that. Yeah, the folks at Skybell right now are getting really mad at you. Uh, (laughs) No, but the point is that the integration is there. um, And it it looks like you can actually have multiple devices from there as well, just by putting in your username and password. So Mm. that's a good thing. Yeah, it looks like you got cameras and. Yeah, exactly. Lights and sensors and switches. Yeah. Yeah, pretty decent uh, collection. And the other one, which uh, I, I quite enjoyed the release notes for, was the Travis CI integration so you can monitor your your <laughs> continuous integration and the the comment in the release notes was that you can make sure that the coffee's done when your builds are finished <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and or if you have a uh, kegerator that's uh automated yeah. <laughs> you can have a beer i know a, a few people are using travis to um verify their home assistant build so i'm wondering if they're going to use home assistant to monitor travis to monitor the home assistant build still working i did wonder about that yeah, so it's funny when I read that, that's the first thing that came into my mind as well. And it's like, uh, I don't know how that would work if Travis is updating Home Assistant right now. So, but mm, yeah, that that is quite funny. <laughs> so, one of the items of feedback we had was from Greg, and he said that he enjoyed the brief preview of five six that we gave in the last episode, but um, he'd be super keen to hear more of a preview. Um, because for you know everyone else, you have to kind of dig through the closed pull requests to find what's coming up. So, mm-hmm. in other words, he'd like us to do that work for him, <laughs> 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 which is totally fine because that's what we're here for. So, I've pulled a few things out. One of the really big things, which is super cool, is no IP actually reached out and said, "Hey, can you guys do a integration for us?" Because, you know, we're we're another dynamic DNS provider like the others that have been integrated. So, you know, can you please do it? And so they went, the uh, project went, sure, why not? And it'll be out in the next release. Yeah, it's coming in 5.7, yeah. so is that very quickly? Yes. <laughs> I guess, you know, it's a good way to set a precedent, you know, if a, someone pops up and says, hey, I have this big platform, please add support. The faster we get it added, the more people are going to come in and, you know, request things like that, which is awesome because there are a few kind of hacky integrations, you know, things that don't have APIs where people are, you know, scraping web pages and things like that. So to have support from the vendor makes a massive difference to how well things work. 
Yeah, and it kind of helps improve choice for people as well, right? Mm. So now you can go with one of multiple DNS providers. Exactly. So, so I think that, because DuckDNS is the main one, but I think there's a couple of others, aren't there? I uh, can't remember. Yeah, there's a few premium yeah, ones there's you a can f- pay for. Yeah. Search components, DNS. Uh, so there's Namecheap DNS as well. Yeah, which is, uh, I believe, also brought in with this release. Indeed, 0.56. Yeah, so there you go. The only caveat with the Namecheap one is it only works on IPv4 addresses. So yes, check um, with your provider if, if you're v4 or if you're, if you're not sure to check uh, how to check if you're on v4 or v6. Mm. But yeah. Yeah, and this is, you know, well, obviously with Namecheap, they're a domain registrar, so you actually have to purchase a domain through them. But when they're like $9... Who cares? <laughs> a year. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, DuckDNS is great, but if you're, you know, happy to spend the $9, you can get a, you know, danshouse.com. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And now that I've mentioned that, someone's probably going to go out and register it because I don't know if it's actually registered or not. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's, yeah, that one's very exciting. A few other things, uh, Linode, or Linode, or however you want to pronounce it, uh, sensor has been added, so you can monitor yep. the state of your your virtual machines, Linode being a, a basically a cloud provider, they one of the first, they've been around for so long. Yeah, they've been around a while. Yeah, I have a, the, all the media for Home Assistant Podcast is actually hosted off a of VM at Linode, so now I guess I can hmm. monitor it to make sure that it's online, so... I don't get messages like I did this week from people going, um, I can't download the podcast. Please help. <laughs> that was a bit unfortunate because it was very shortly after I released it that it all broke. As is the way. Oh, absolutely. That's right. More on a, you know, externally facing kind of view. There's now a fail to ban sensor. So looks like the person that released it is actually running fail to ban against their home assistant. So they can block people that are, you know, trying to smash into their home assistant installation. Which it's is actually not a bad idea. I know um, with the Lodash sensor, um, I did a quick search for uh, home assistant, and there was uh, a lot of uh, home assistant installs you could just access via a random IP address somewhere. So it would be good to uh, be able to have that automatically block people if they try and enter the wrong password a few times. Yes, and yeah. people need to make sure that they actually do have passwords set. I think as we've yeah. mentioned previously, there are services out there that will poke every port on every IP on the internet. So if you do have an open home assistant installation, people will find it. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Oh yeah, for sure. And even then you want to make sure your passwords aren't password or something <laughs> exactly. like that. You want to make sure it's a complicated password. Yeah, I because I'm not, well not yet, using my Amazon Echo with Home Assistant, I've actually just not got my Home Assistant available to the internet. Yeah. Yeah, ditto. You know, one of those things I'll get around to. I have a, a to-do list for my home automation, which is very, very, very long. <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's so one of the things, so I kind of misspoke. I do have my Home Assistant face in the internet, but it's secured by like client certificates and things like that. Yeah. But the problem is if I have it, that secure. I don't actually know if I can actually 
interface that with things like Amazon. Yeah, and uh, surely that becomes a bit of a, a pain if you really need quick access to view home assistant. Oh, Maybe for sure. you're out somewhere and you just need to pull up your phone and did I leave the coffee machine on this morning? Did I leave the iron on? Yeah. <laughs> you have to be remembering certificates yeah. and all that jazz. No, it's definitely not ideal. <laughs> oh. so. What you can do if you put it behind a reverse proxy is actually, you know, just allow the endpoint for the API for Google Assistant or for Amazon Echo through, you know, with less security, as long as you've got, you know, nice secure API keys and things like that. And then, yeah, so you can, you know, if you still want to require client certificates, you can do that for the main interface, but not for the API endpoints. Yeah, that's true, actually. Hmm. It's not a bad thought. That's my weekend. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> you're, you're most welcome. And the last thing I've got on the list is Microsoft text-to-speech, um, which is just another text-to-speech option. If you live in the Microsoft world, you can uh, go ahead and do that. It's great with all the different text-to-speech providers. So if you don't like you know, the, the Google default voice or prefer the Amazon Joanna, I believe she's called, there's, you know, you can integrate all those with Home Assistant, so it's really cool. Mm. As opposed to everyone having that same robotic voice. <laughs> can you have multiple text-to-speech options? Or yeah, can I you believe have, you can. Say, yeah, you know, so, like, depending um, on for it. example, when you enable the Google text-to-speech, the domain becomes Google underscore TTS, I believe. Uh, so then right. you could have multiple agents running. So you could have different voices for different parts of the house or different functions of the house. Maybe you'll have uh, a male voice for Jeeves, the robotic cleaner, and <laughs> female for any announcements to tell the kids to go to bed, maybe. <laughs> yeah, change the voice depending on who's home, so they get the voice they prefer. Yeah, exactly. And I, the, yeah, this is just limitless, and no doubt we're giving lots of people things that are going to completely destroy the, uh, the coming week. <laughs> oh, I should set that up. <laughs> You know what? I want to see YouTube videos of these. <laughs> if you got them, send them. <laughs> yeah, tell us about how much of your time we've taken up this week <laughs> from all the <laughs> all the ideas that we're having that we'll probably never set up ourselves, but maybe someone will. Exactly. I guess that's you know part of this the, podcast. Uh, productivity as well. meter. Yeah, this is uh, you know <laughs> more than happy to be inspiration for people for. You know, working out what they want to do with the system because, you know, different things are important to different people and maybe your significant yeah. other really, really hates one of the voices and you love it. So, you know, when they're home, use the voice they like and when it's just you home, you can have your own voice. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Tell so, us about the Z-Wave connection graph. Yeah, so I was browsing the uh, Home Assistant forums and I came across a, a little gem in there uh, by Magnus Manson. Anyone familiar with Demotics and Z-Wave, they'll know that in Demotics you can actually view how all your Z-Wave devices are communicating with each other on a nice little uh, pie graph that shows what node connects to what and 
how many hops it has to take to and who it goes through. So Magnus has created a nice little visualization for Home Assistant. It just reads the OpenZWave log files and creates a nice little graph of how everything communicates with each other. So if you're using a USB Z-Wave stick and using OpenZWave with Home Assistant, I think this is a great little tool to help debug any slow points or why something's being constantly marked as failed. It's a great little addition. Yeah, and I'm just looking at the picture of the graph on the GitHub page right now, and it's, I mean, it looks complex, but that's kind of what you want, right? You want to see what's connecting exactly. to where, and, and yeah. so that it, this is actually really cool. This is the, the information, like if you need to find where something's gone wrong, you need the details on where it's, how it's communicating back to the controller or home assistant to find out, you know, maybe there's a device in the middle that doesn't support something or, yeah, so I think sure. that's a great little addition there. Yeah, it's uh, it'll. I'm sure it'll save you time troubleshooting as well. So great, uh, great yeah. job, Magnus. Mm, it's actually a a reasonably straightforward uh, PHP script that it's. But you know, having to pass it and everything, it's actually yeah, it's awesome that someone's put the work in because it's not, you know, takes a bit of thinking to you know pass the log, which is all it is, mm-hmm. and actually because you can look through the log, but. That sounds like a whole lot of effort. <laughs> Especially trip. in the logs, they just give you like node one, node seven, node eight is my neighbor. Like yeah. you don't want to have to go through that. Just tell me what everything is. Like lay it out nicely for me, and that does it perfectly. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, really cool. and yeah, I, I do enough log reading at work. I don't really want to do it <laughs> <laughs> for this too. <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right, though. It's uh, definitely, definitely a fantastic way to visualize your Z-Wave network. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's one of those cool things that you kind of want to put up on a big dashboard to go, hey, check this out. Yeah, for your household uh, network operations center. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, like, I really um, enjoy it. So Home Assistant, yeah. You go. So Home Assistant uh, released the ability to do translations this week, which I is saw that. awesome. Yeah. Actually, within a day, they've had uh, translations come through for... Japanese, Czech, Bulgarian, Spanish, French, Lithuanian, Swedish, Polish, German, Dutch, and Italian already. That was just in one day. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So, Hacktoberfest has uh, been a, a very successful month for Home <laughs> yeah. Assistant. Yeah, it's just, I uh, didn't realize that it had been in that short space of time. That is so impressive. Yeah. And it'll open um, Home Assistant up uh, to a lot more users as well that you know maybe english is they're not that great app but with localization you know there'll be many more people coming online to home assistant that'll be able to share their ideas as well and give mm. us even more stuff we need to buy yes yeah absolutely. <laughs> another thing that came out this week was a update to the uh homebridge npm module for home assistant so it can now support vacuum cleaners uh home assistant scripts and locks as well yeah, the, the locks is the important one for me because I, yeah, as I mentioned just before, that I'd like to have alarms and locks reliable and not dependent on my home assistant. So I have some rather expensive but uh, very, very reliable uh, HomeKit locks. And it's a little bit of a hack to get them into home assistant. So I'm hoping that the lock uh, support means that I can actually have real locks and Home Assistant mm. rather than binary sensors, which is what I have at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a a nice change. And that, that especially makes having your front end secure very, very important if 
access to your house is built into it. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I'm still not sold on having uh, <laughs> having uh, voice access to my locks. It's still that still trips me out if I can just yell saying, hey, whatever platform, whether it's uh, Echo or the home or whatever, hey, unlock my front door. And now they're getting a little better where they're actually doing voice recognition, but just be aware of that. Yeah, I have, I don't have it. Um, I'm yeah, nef- definitely not going to have it through to Echo, but I can go, you know, hey, sorry, unlock the back door as I'm walking up to the back door on my phone. Oh, dear. Oh, she just unlocked the back door, didn't she? Uh, sure did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my back and door so is now unlocked. so did about 30 other people that are listening to this. <laughs> yes. Um, so my wife would have just got a push notification saying, the back door is unlocked. The back door is locked. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing HomeKit does is it sends you push notifications with the, for the locks. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, dear. But Yes. Nice to see an update to it because I use it pretty heavily. Being a being an Apple house, it's really nice to be able to swipe up on my phone and scroll across, and there are you know a set of things that I can access very quickly if I if I feel the need. Yeah, and and I think the scripts one is kind of kind of nice too, right? And that way, if you need to fire off any other scripts, you can kind of easily do that. Hmm. Like a good night script or something. I'm guessing just have that always available, nice and close. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For me, you know, having Siri is so easy because it works really well. But, you know, especially because I've got, man, I'm having trouble stringing sentences together today. So uh, <laughs> make sure this bit gets edited out. Because I always have, you know, my phone in my pocket and my watch on my wrist. Siri's always there. I don't need, an, you know, an echo or a dot or anything like that in the room. Siri's just always there. So I don't yeah. have everything, you know everything presented yeah. to it because the bridge just goes crazy when it's got too much data to shuttle around. But, you know, the important things like groups for lights in each room and the lock and the back door and the front door just, yeah, makes life so much easier. That's something I'm looking forward yeah. to. Uh, the Echo supporting soon will be groups for rooms. So instead of saying, you know, turn off the bedroom lights, you can assign a, an Echo to a room and just say, you know, Alexa, turn off the lights and just those lights will turn off. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. It will be also, good. you just turned off about a few people's lights. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I, think, I think we need to, in addition to the, this may cost you lots of money and be very addictive disclaimer, we also need to please mute your voice assistants. <laughs> and or we need, an, uh, we need to start censoring ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> We're not worried about uh, swear words in our show. We're worried about trigger words yeah. for your home automation systems. That, that's actually quite funny. That's a good point. I uh, have to refer to Alexa as you-know-who, like Voldemort around yeah. here, because otherwise you'll just pick up anything you say. Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> All righty. So we got a pretty significant amount of feedback this week. Greg's feedback, I've already mentioned that he'd like, you know, like us to do the work and discuss what's coming up in future releases. So we've done that. Hope that's what you're mm-hmm. after, Greg. Um, and also, Luckily, uh, this week there was a, a few closed ones for us, usually because we're in the... The wrong season for it. Usually in the last week, they get merged in. So, mm. luckily this week, there was a few for us to go through. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Greg, for your feedback. And yeah, the more we can do to help our listeners and, you know, make the podcast valuable, the, the better we can, the better the podcast is going to be. That's right. So, Jonathan um, enjoyed our debate 
about running Home Assistant and Docker versus the Raspberry Pi and about HessIO as well. Mm-hmm. And we got <laughs> what he called an essay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at the show notes and I don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently he's just switched from using OpenHAB and he's running it in a Docker container and he's using a Vera Lite as a Z-Wave bridge. I actually have a so, Vera Lite, but I don't have any Z-Wave kit yet. <laughs> so actually, I uh, can relate to Jonathan here. I use Home Assistant in a Docker and a Vera Lite as well as the Z-Wave bridge. So right. I'm running yeah. a very close setup here. And he says he has a home lab environment, which is pretty much what I do as well. Yeah, and I, I am actually running Home Assistant on a separate Pi just to keep things simple and online, as he says. Things tend to break a bit more often than I'd like in my home lab. Yeah. So, yeah, so he's looking at this. So this is actually getting much more into the DevOps and things than home automation, but we'll continue anyway. He's talking about getting into configuration management and continuous integration, continuous deployment, and container orchestration. <laughs> So it, it's funny. So I'm actually at that stage right now where I'm starting to use, I mean, for home, I'm just using swarm mode mm. or, or Docker swarm for my uh, kind of container orchestration. So it's, I mean, I just started like two days ago and I hadn't seen Jonathan's feedback either. So I'm, I'm happy. It's not just me that's uh, <laughs> deciding to excessively <laughs> kind of go overboard on this. But yeah, I'm I'm still I'm still trying to figure out. There's a couple of good white papers out there on uh, class how to do MQTT high availability without obviously paying for kind of enterprise licenses and stuff like that. So uh, mm. yeah, I haven't gotten that far yet, but uh, I hopefully will be this weekend. And uh, yeah, and if I do, I'm I plan to blog about that if I can actually get this going properly. Yeah. <laughs> And he, he he kind of talks about a bit of a workflow here, which, yeah, so he's wondering, how do we do it? And he's talked about a few options. So one is to, you know, pretty straightforwardly just do a get pull or, you know, get continuous integration once it's run a test to then pull it. The other is to maybe build a Docker image with the configuration baked in. Um, mm-hmm. Personally, I try not to bake anything into Docker containers. Um, yeah. Mounted volumes seems to be tidier and then you can actually you know share things with the community as well that and the you know the official docker container is pretty robust so i don't see any reason not to use that yeah i completely agree with that piece as well like for me it's that's exactly what i'm doing today right i just have a docker compose file for my (laughs) non-swarm lab non-lab uh system let's call it where again everything is mounted into volumes right and I totally agree. It keeps things a lot more flexible as well. So I don't have to re recompile my uh, container every time I want to make a change or try something new. So that might be a little more work, but I actually, I actually like the, like the fact that, you know, he's thought about that too. So. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully we're not um, going too far beyond uh, the scope of most of our listeners, but this is definitely something that I've thought quite a bit about. So I think a lot of people use, uh, as we mentioned before, like Travis to verify their own mm. Home Assistant config mm-hmm. files. And I know like there's integrations with GitHub, so you can push up your latest change to your automations to GitHub, get Travis to run a build and run it against the latest Docker image of Home Assistant, make sure it passes. But yeah, I guess the, the deploying locally, that's where it becomes a bit tricky. 
Yeah, yeah. The, I guess the simplest way is, you know, every five minutes do a git pull. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> if the files have changed, restart Home Assistant. But then, you know, you might get Home Assistant restarting when you don't quite want it to. Yeah, exactly. So you got to be, well, I mean, and there's other CI systems as well out there, right? Travis is kind of the nice and easy one since it's integrated with GitHub and stuff like that. There are uh, a few other standalone systems like Jenkins and a few others that you can use as well. Like, again, it starts getting really complicated <laughs> at this point. And it's it's a trade-off of, do you really want to do it? Or is it worth doing that, right? For me, it, I find it fun, so, which is, probably says something about me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's another story. Uh, <laughs> but it's one of those things where it, it's almost like a how much is too much kind of question, right? I guess it also comes down to what is the, the problem you're trying to solve? Is it when you're doing your own local deploys, you're doing something wrong and then everything crashes? Or because maybe, you know, you could go as far as, you know, making sure that the home system config is valid before you push. Or do you, is it just pushing that takes too long? So then you maybe need to automate it. I think exactly. Yeah, a few things break every part down and then work out what the the best way is to solve it. Yeah, and balance yeah. it with simplicity and functionality as well because it's all well exactly. and good having all these fancy things, but if you're you walk in at night and the lights don't come on, <laughs> you're not going to be very happy with how your system's running. And well, and, and that's exactly you. it. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly right. It's 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 that whole partner acceptance factor. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Last piece of feedback from Ethan. These are. Oh, what what did my voice just do then? <laughs> Last piece of feedback from Ethan. These are actually in no particular order. I just grabbed them out of my email. Ethan says he's loving the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> uh, he says it's a great way for me to learn about home automation, and also really enjoying that there are other people obsessed with home automation <laughs> yeah um so he says that he's a um homekit user by default so many of the things he does actually ports into home assistant via homebridge and he's using hesio um he's been looking around for affordable sensors and he remembers us discussing the xiaomi products which for stupid yep. cheap prices which they definitely are but if you google for them you know you find lots of kind of vaguely dodgy looking sites that it's really hard to tell, you know, am I actually yeah. going to get a product or not? And even on the uh, the big sites like uh, Amazon and eBay, they can actually be pretty more expensive than if you were to just source them elsewhere. Yeah. I think Amazon had one of the Xiaomi uh, temperature sensors and it was like uh, double the price what you could get it on GearBest, for example. Mm. Yeah, so there we go. Yeah, GearBest, AliExpress is usually pretty decent mm. as well. Yeah. Basically, you want to buy it from one of the the sites that is a known name so that if the seller does, you know, mess you around, you can get your money back and you have, you know, seller support. Yeah, exactly. They're part of the value of going with one of the, even though they might be a dollar or so more expensive, is you know, a little bit of peace of mind that you'll actually receive your shipment. Mm. <laughs> it's probably 99% so. of the sites out there are fine. But, you know, for yeah. that peace of mind, yeah, go to GearBest or... AliExpress or eBay or even Amazon, if you really, you know, want to be a hundred percent sure that nothing could go wrong, because Amazon, you know, post sales support is pretty good. But mm -hmm. yeah, don't. You need to balance convenience with cost, and spending a few more dollars definitely a good idea. 
Yeah, if it's a lot less sketchy. Yes. <laughs> I'll go through and find some actual product pages for the various bits and pieces and chuck them in the show notes um, of places yeah. that we know are reliable. <laughs> yeah. All righty. We had planned to do the advanced configuration topic this week, but seeing as we had all this feedback and so many changes, I'm going to push that off for another two weeks. Gives me a little bit of a time to finish rebranding my blog as well before I put a post out. So that that works well for me. And no doubt we'll have lots more changes again with the next one for the the last bit of Hacktoberfest. Yeah, I think. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, sorry. Someone? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, right. I think the devs are going to be uh, was... very impressed once uh, October is over with they can relax with the amount of pull requests coming in yeah I think it's been a bit of a big job for them but it's also been really awesome to see so much come through yeah I mean for the users definitely I feel bad for <laughs> for, for, the, for the uh for the key devs yeah <laughs> they, they, they did choose to sign up for it so that is true that is true no but it's uh it's definitely been fantastic in all mm. seriousness there's been a lot of stuff coming in even the localization just all these different languages in it like basically overnight it, it's great to see that right and, and we keep talking about kind of the why open source is you know really like it why open source works essentially right this is a huge part of it right you have a massive community that that puts stuff together uh helps each other out so very nice to see that yeah absolutely excellent I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up. Thanks, guys, again for coming along and having a pretty much just a good old chat about home automation. It's not. <laughs> Thank you for having us. It's not really that much of a chore, that's is right. it? <laughs> hey, that's okay. I'm completely okay with this format, and it sounds like people are too. So yeah. Thank you very much, and also keep the feedback coming. Yeah, yes, definitely. We've got uh, multiple methods. So yeah, get your feedback in. We'll talk about it on the show. Respond. Try and. You know, do what you ask for. Yeah. And, yeah, just keep on listening and we'll keep on recording. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. right. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks.